Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this, this morning as we gather here, we rejoice in who you are. We rejoice in our sure hope in Christ alone. We rejoice that our hope is not in our own strength. We rejoice this morning that our hope is not in our own works. But we rejoice this morning, even as we've just confessed in song, that you will hold us fast. That it is you that will keep us. Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning you would open our eyes to this reality. That you will keep us. Our hope is in you. So we will run with endurance. We rejoice this morning that, that even as we sang earlier, that soul that soul who is trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation, though all hell should endeavor to shake it, you will never, no, never, no, never forsake. May we cling to that promise and that hope this morning. May we be encouraged in our faith, in our Christian walk, as weak as our faith may be, our hope is in the promise giver. It is in you alone. Open our eyes to this reality. Fill us with boldness and faith based on this truth that you may be honored in all that we say and do. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you get on the highway and you head east, eventually you'll come to Iowa City and you keep going through there and eventually you'll start to see some signs as you start getting near this little tiny town of Walcott, Iowa. You'll start seeing signs about 20 miles out, world's biggest truck stop. A few miles more, there's another sign over here. And then another one over here, and another one over here. And, and by the time you get to this truck stop, there's this massive sign with an arrow that is pointing down saying, Right here! This is where the truck stop is! It's pretty obvious, is it not? If you've gone that way, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't miss it. By the time you get there, they've been advertising it for 20 miles. They have signs everywhere with arrows pointing right here. If you miss it, it's your own fault. I kind of felt that way last week going through Hebrews chapter 11. There was sign after sign after sign, example after example after example saying, this is what faith is. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks for. 
It's funny, I had more than one, probably more like two or three people after the service last week come up to me and say, you know, that is one of my favorite chapters. I love that chapter. I wish we could have slowed down and gone through it a little slower. And there's a time and a place for that. Hebrews 11 is a great standalone chapter to step back and to go through each one of those stories and to see God's faithfulness, to dive into the Old Testament, into those backstories and the context, and to see God's faithfulness and the faith of the saints who have gone before us on display. There's a time and a place to do that. And yet last week, in the context of Hebrews, and the flow of Hebrews, I felt that as we, as we came to Hebrews 11, I felt the best way to do it is just to tackle it all. You have to remember that Hebrews is a letter. It's a sermon, if you will, meant to be read at once to a congregation. And in the flow of the book itself, I don't know that it was necessarily the, the author of Hebrews' purpose for us to pause and dive into each one of those. Again, I think there's a time and a place for that. I think it's a good thing to do that. But in the flow of the book of Hebrews, he is just piling example after example after example after example. And I think his, his purpose in doing that is to overwhelm you with examples. To make it abundantly clear that God is faithful. It's like the ocean. If you've ever been to the ocean... One of the things I, I love to do, I don't like to go very deep in the ocean. I don't like not knowing what's swimming around me. But, uh, but I'll go out normally about to my, my waist or my chest, and, and it's just fun to kind of bob there, right? And as the, as the waves come in, you kind of jump and you ride it for a little bit and you come back down. And the next one, you jump and you ride it and you come back down. But if you time that jump wrong, right, or if the wave's a little bigger than you're expecting, It'll knock you off your feet and you'll tumble and you'll finally get your feet under you and you stand up and as soon as you stand up, what's there waiting for you? Another wave right in your face and you find yourself tumbling again and you stand up and another one and another one until finally you find a break. That's what Hebrews 11 is like. It is example after example after example that is pummeling you. Proclaiming that Jesus is faithful. It's like drinking from a fire hydrant. Gallon after gallon just pouring forth, overwhelming you, drenching you, pummeling you. And so we have tumbled our way through Hebrews 11 and we finally are getting our feet under us and we're standing up to take a breath. As you come to Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2, the author of Hebrews then takes all of those lessons we've just seen, he says, now this is what it means. This is why that mattered. Hebrews 11, looking at all these heroes of the faith, Hebrews 11 ends in verses 39 and 40 with the realization what we have come to know that we too are still looking forward in faith. That these promises have not yet been fulfilled. We too, like all of these saints before us, we too are still looking for this promise to be fulfilled. We too are still looking for the kingdom to come. That's why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's why Revelation ends, even so, come Lord Jesus. 
We too are still longing like all of those saints before us. And the point is that you can do it. Because God is faithful. So as you come to Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore we also. Get your feet under you and stand up. Therefore, we also. There's application here. This has meaning for you. He takes us and he puts us into the story. We too. Like all of the saints who have gone before us. We too. You also. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You are a part of this story of what God is doing. And you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. It's interesting. Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 2. Hebrews, Hebrews 11 and 12. But really, there's some of those chapters that you know from a young age. The Hall of Faith. I remember learning it as a, as a kid. There's VBSs built around this idea of running a marathon. Endurance. And I remember as a kid always imagining this passage, once we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, always imagining it as like a stadium. Right? You see these massive stadiums with, with the Olympics or, or the World Cup or, or, or Super Bowl. This is a massive stadium filled with hundreds of thousands of people. And then you have this, this track or this field down in the middle and, and there's those who are participating down there and everyone in the stadium is looking down and, and witnessing them. They are watching what's going on. And that's how I always imagined this. All of these saints from the past are looking down and they are witnessing us in our lives and they're cheering us on. And yet it's clear in the context, I think, here that Instead of a stadium with witnesses watching us, it's more like a wall or a museum with pictures up of those who have gone before us who are witnessing to us. They are witnessing to us of the faithfulness of God. They're not witnessing us. If you watch a documentary about a sports figure or, or someone else who, who's done something great, often they'll talk about those who have gone before them, those who encouraged them, who showed that I could do this. Right? Even when I walk into my office, on the back wall, just like we have on the back wall of our auditorium here, there's a verse, Philippians 1, 20 to 21. And every time I walk in my office, my eyes go straight there and I see it and I am reminded of my purpose in the ministry, my purpose in life. What is it for me to live is Christ. Those words witness to me, remind me of the truth. And so rather than a stadium filled of witnesses of us, the idea here is witnesses to us. Each one of these witnesses, one on top of the other, pouring forth out of Hebrews 11, is proclaiming that God is faithful. Each one of them is proclaiming the faithfulness of God. 
from Abel to Enoch to Noah to Abraham to Sarah to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses to Joshua and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the many other prophets. They are all testifying to us of the faithfulness of God. That when it seems that there is no hope, when nothing makes sense, their testimony shines forth that God is faithful. Hold on. Warren Wiersbe told a little story in his short little commentary. He says this, I, I rarely read the Old Testament except for the Psalms and Proverbs, a believer once told me. That you are missing a great deal of spiritual help, I replied. I asked him to open to Romans 15.4 and read the verse aloud, which says this, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. I then explained that the word patience in that verse means endurance, and that the word comfort in that verse means encouragement. One of the best ways to develop endurance and encouragement is to get to know the godly men and women of the Old Testament who ran the race and won. If you are having problems with your family, read about Joseph. If you think your job is too big for you, study the life of Moses. If you are tempted to retaliate, see how David handled this problem. And if you are tempted to fall away, to leave the faith, if you are tempted that just maybe God is not faithful, maybe He is not good, look back to Hebrews 11 and see that God is faithful and good and powerful and He will fulfill all of His promises. That is what these lives testify to. That is why the author of Hebrews pummels us with example after example after example to where you get to the end of Hebrews 11. After 40 verses of this, you are exhausted. Because hopefully, you've gotten the picture that God is faithful. So, so now the author of Hebrews comes to his application. You've seen this. Testifying to God's faithfulness. So. So what? So run the race. Run with purpose and run with endurance. Therefore, we also, because we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, proclaiming this message to us, so let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us lay aside every weight. Do what it takes to succeed. Lay aside every weight, both good and bad, anything at all that slows you down or holds you back. We know... In ancient Greece and in Romans' time, as they would compete, they would lay aside every weight. I mean, they would run with, with nothing on. Because it would slow them down. 
Even today, our runners wear the bare minimum. If you watch these, these long races that people go on, marathons or um, whatever other race it is, sometimes along the path you'll see tents, and as runners come by, right, they've got just a tiny shirt on, a little shorts on, and they'll come by, and they don't even stop. They'll just grab a water where they run by, they'll throw it in, they'll grab a little bar, eat it while they're running, they just keep going. Right? They're not going to stop and eat a full meal. They're going because there's something more important. They lay aside every weight. Think of bikers. We have a, a bike shop right around the corner here. And often bikers will come down our road heading out to the trail out there. And they're all about aerodynamics, right? They don't wear big baggy clothes. You don't see them in work boots riding their bikes. Right? They're in these little tight suits and they're, they're, they're as small as they can be. Trying to get rid of all drag of every weight that would hold them back. Think even of a baseball player. Well, there's a batter in the box facing a pitcher often behind him. In the on-deck circle, there's another batter who's warming up. He's getting ready to step up there. He, it's his turn next. And as he's preparing, what does he do? You'll often see him take weights and put them on that bat. Right? And he practices swinging. He's warming up with those weights. It makes his bat heavier so that when he steps up there and he takes those weights off, it's easier to swing. But what you don't see is you don't see him step up to the plate with those added weights. They serve a good purpose. They're good. They're not bad. But they're not meant to be used at the plate. He sheds those weights before he gets to the plate. So that he can do the thing that he is there to do. There's purpose there. There's preparing. There's getting ready. There's mindfulness. Lay aside every weight. It's easy to recognize that we need to lay aside bad things, right? It's easy to recognize that this is not just bad things. This is even good things. Anything that holds you back. Because you are called to something greater. So lay aside every weight. What are the things in your life that hold you back? Not just bad things, but maybe good things. Maybe it's a hobby. It's a hobby that keeps you away from church. Maybe it's entertainment. Entertainment that keeps you away from your family. Maybe it's social media. It's just constantly dragging you down. Constantly distracting you. 
You sit down to read your Bible, but, but two minutes in, you grab your phone to check what anyone has said, what has happened. Even sitting here this morning, maybe you're following along on your phone, and already, I'm not even through point one, and already you've flipped over to Facebook two or three times, or to Twitter. Already you've checked the news. These things are not bad in and of themselves. Hobbies are good. Entertainment can be good. Social media can have a good purpose. But are these good things that are holding you down? Are they weights that are pulling you back from what really matters? From what is really important? illustration that the author of Hebrews is using here is the illustration of a race. We are running after something. We have a goal. We are called to be faithful. We know that our God is faithful. So keep running. And we have all these weights that are dragging us down. But it's not just Cannot, it's not just good things, but, but even, look, he adds here, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. The sin. He doesn't mention one sin in particular. All sin hinders the believer. Each of us have specific sins that, that we struggle with more than others. And notice the phrase there, the sin which so easily ensnares us. Truer words have never been spoken. Sin which so easily ensnares us. How often do we actually put up a fight against temptation? We are so weak and so fickle. They're called to something greater. We have a purpose that we are pursuing. We are leaning on the promises of God, trusting in His faithfulness. And yet we are so easily ensnared. I'm sure even as I say that, that sins have popped into your mind. Maybe there's sins that you've committed in the last week that you need to confess, or maybe it's just that, that same old sin that you always run back to. It so easily ensnares you. How weak we are. Sometimes maybe, maybe you don't even put up a fight. In fact, sometimes maybe even you even go looking for it. sin which so easily ensnares us. Jesus deals with this in the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 5. Specifically, verses 27 to 30. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. 
But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. It's the same idea that we are dealing with here this morning. Jesus there using very stark, shocking language. Yet the author of Hebrews is making the same point here. We are called to faithfulness. We have those around us in the past who have testified that God is faithful and this is possible and you can endure. So lay aside every weight. Lay aside that sin that so easily besets you. Do what you have to do to deal with it. Jesus very vividly saying, pluck out your eye, cut off your arm. You understand he's not being literal there. But the idea is extreme. Deal with it. Take it seriously. These are not things to be taken lightly. So run with purpose. Prepare yourself mindfully. Lay aside every weight. Lay aside that sin. The runner who runs a marathon doesn't get to to, to mile three and realizing, oh wow, I dressed really appropriate for this today. I'm glad I did that. That was an accident. There's mindfulness there, right? When they wake up that morning, they have planned their sleep schedule. They've planned what they've eaten. They've planned what they're wearing. They have prepared for this. When they step onto that course to run that race, they have laid aside all that stuff. They're not going to let anything hold them back. They are ready to go. Brothers and sisters, we must run with purpose. We must be mindful about the things that we fill our mind with and the things that take up our time. Lay aside every weight. Lay aside that sin that so easily ensnares us. It's all sin that holds us back. Specifically, he likely has in mind the sin of unbelief. That's the whole context here, right? Belief. If there's any doubt in your mind, lay it aside. The sins that so easily take us. And then run with endurance. Run with purpose, laying aside these things, preparing rightly, but then let us run with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Run with endurance. There's a difference between a 50-yard dash, a 100-yard sprint, and a marathon. 
Chris and I know a, a guy from when we worked at Good News who, who runs 100-mile races. There's a, a different way to prepare for that. If you set out on a 50-yard dash at a marathon pace, you will lose. And if you set out on a marathon with a 50-yard dash pace, you'll be worn out in 50 yards. Brothers and sisters, run with endurance. Recognize the race that is before you, the path that lays there. Have a mindfulness of endurance. It takes purpose. It takes planning. It takes discipline. Don't get frustrated in the first 50 yards. There's 26 miles ahead of you. And endurance does not just happen by accident. Again, it's purpose. It's recognizing the race ahead of you. It's recognizing that that hill and mile three, that's not the end of the race. So yes, work your way up that hill and do it at a pace that you need to do it to finish the race, not just to finish that hill. Those examples that we saw in Hebrews 11, there were lots of hills and mountains that they ran over. But they recognized that it was a marathon and not a sprint. What about Noah building an ark for over a hundred years with people questioning him constantly? But he was faithful because he recognized that it was a marathon and not a sprint. He recognized that what God had called him to, God would do that very thing because God is faithful. So he was faithful. Even as Abraham believed beyond hope, as Romans tells us, because he knew that it was a marathon. So he kept going for 25 years after receiving the promises. He kept going, even as a stranger, living in tents in the land that had been promised to him, still without the seed that had been promised for 25 years because he's running with endurance. Because he has the right mindset, because he understands that God is faithful. So I will endure Run with endurance the race that is set before you. So see these examples. All of them testifying to us that God is faithful. All of them testifying to us. That you can make it. Then look to Jesus. As you see there in verse 2. As you run this race, as you run this marathon, keep your eyes on Jesus. 
Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the pioneer of the faith that we should follow. He's the one who cut this trail. Who pioneered this path. And he's the one that will bring to completion in us the very thing that he has begun. So look to Jesus. Follow in his footsteps. And that trail that he has cut. Again, this goes to the whole idea of a marathon, the, the author's theme here, right? As you're running, you, you don't get distracted by that hill in front of you. You keep your eyes to the end. You know that there's a greater price. So look to Jesus. He is the author and the finisher. Even as Hebrews 6 reminds us. Hebrews 6.20, he is the forerunner, it says. The forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. He is Jesus, our forerunner, the author, the finisher, the founder. So follow in his footsteps. This Jesus who, for the joy that was set before him, not only is he the one who we look to, he is our ultimate example. More than all these other examples in Hebrews 11, over all this history, Jesus is the ultimate example. He's the one who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him. It's an interesting phrase here. That idea for the joy that was set before him could be taken two ways. It could be taken because of the joy that was set before him. Where Jesus is, is looking ahead, he's looking forward to the fact that God will resurrect him, ascend him, seat him at his right hand, give him the nations as his inheritance. The joy of his exaltation. It could also have the idea of instead of the joy that was rightfully his. The idea that we see even in Philippians 2. Where although he counted equality with God, he did not count a thing to be grasped, though it was rightfully his. The joy that was rightfully his, he set aside to endure the cross. And I don't know that you necessarily have to pick one. They're both true, biblically. He is our example of faith. Who set aside that joy that was rightfully his. 
who endured the cross, knowing that God would resurrect him, knowing that he would ascend to the right hand of the Father, knowing that he would be seated there, knowing that he would have a kingdom and a people. And he's also the one who looked forward to that and who came to the cross with that in mind. Who for the joy that was set before him, for the joy of his exaltation, the accomplishment of the Father's will, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. He endured. That's the very thing that the author of Hebrews is calling us to do. To endure. And actually, going forward into verses 3 and following, he'll say, you've not even yet endured to the point that Jesus has. And you will not. I mean, this is the ultimate example. He left glory for shame. He left worship to be mocked and spit on and whipped and hung on a tree. He left a throne to take a cross and an empty tomb. He endured the cross because he knew that God was faithful. That the Father would raise him again. That he would take possession of that joy of exaltation that was promised him. Even in the flesh, depending on the Father and the Spirit, He endured the cross. He despised the shame. He counted it as nothing. Because he knew that God was faithful. That the Father was faithful. As unthinkable as it was. That God should become man. That God should die. As unthinkable as it was. He counted it as nothing compared to his joy. The joy of obeying the Father's will was infinitely greater than the shame of the cross. He endured because he counted the Father faithful. And he found him to be faithful. He was risen from the dead. He was seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Again here, as we see, this is really a theme in Hebrews as he constantly returns to the fact that Jesus has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. In fact, this is the final reference to Psalm 110.1 in Hebrews. He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, our example and our helper. Our hope is sure Because our example, because our forerunner, because the founder and the finisher of our faith is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he is pleading for us. Interceding for us. So brothers and sisters, endure. 
Let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The Old Testament saints of Hebrews 11, they testify that it is possible and that God is faithful. And Jesus testifies that it is finished. So run with purpose. Run with endurance. Run and do not fall away. No matter what hills or valleys or mountains you come across, run with endurance, keeping your eyes on Jesus. This passage this morning here in Hebrews 12, it's really an application passage that comes directly out of Hebrews 11. It's a call to respond. So the question as we come to the end of this message this morning is this. What steps do you need to take this morning to run with endurance? What do you need to do right now to run with purpose? What weights are holding you back? What sins have so easily ensnared you? Or maybe you've just taken your eyes off of Jesus. Maybe you just need to look back again and remember. If there are weights that you need to abandon this morning, then abandon them. If there are sins that you need to confess and forsake, then confess and forsake them. Look to Jesus and strive forward in faith, convinced and expectant. It is a marathon that you are running. So run with endurance. It is not a sprint. Do away with those weights and those sins that hold you back. I don't know your heart. Only you know your heart. And I would call you this morning to be honest with yourself. Those fears, those doubts, those sins, those weights, lay them down and get up and run with endurance, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith.